0: Okay, so Congress, they have a lot of reasons to be mad at Bill Barr right now. That they do. Noah Feldman is a constitutional scholar at Harvard. He's been studying Congress like a chessboard, piling up the lists of grievances the Democrats have against Attorney General William Barr.
1: Uh, There's the distortion in his report to Congress. There's the potential stonewalling or even misstatements in his testimony, there's a refusal to hand over the entirety of the Mueller report.
0: It's that last move. Barr's refusal to hand over the unredacted Mueller report, even after a subpoena that's left the House Judiciary Committee looking to put William Barr in check. It's why they've scheduled a vote to hold him in contempt of Congress this morning. What do you think is going to happen when all these Congress people walk into the room?
1: Well, the first thing to remember is that we're talking about a committee vote on contempt. This is a first step. This is a recommendation, or it would be if passed, a recommendation by the committee to tell Congress, we think all of you should hold him in contempt.
0: The last time I talked to Noah about the attorney general, Bill Barr was still interviewing for his job. And some Democrats were cautiously optimistic about him. Noah was, too. So you're making the case that this is really just a first step and it's unclear where this all lands. So does this vote matter?
1: Oh, it matters because Congress still is in its mode of oversight of the executive. And when they ask to see documents, if the executive says no, the first significant step that Congress has to take in order to get those documents, the first move towards a constitutional confrontation between the two branches of government is a contempt vote. And the first part of a contempt vote is for the committee to recommend contempt. So it's absolutely an important stage along the way. It's just not, you know, it's just not the whole way yet.
0: So what you're saying is we're slow walking into a constitutional crisis.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, a constitutional crisis comes when you really don't know what comes next.
0: This vote brings us one step closer to the unknown. For now... Noah can see the steps Congress could take to hold the executive branch to account. But they're running out of options. It's about to get messy. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. So let's say Congress does find Bill Barr in contempt, the whole Congress. What could happen next?
1: Well, there are three things in theory that can happen, and only one in probable practical reality that will follow. The first is that in theory, Congress could actually go out and arrest. Bill Barr and try to literally hold him in a cell for contempt. That's not going to happen. They haven't done that since the 19th century, although it is historically within their power.
0: They used to send, like, the sergeant at arms out to do that, right? Exactly. Is that the same guy who, like, announces the president when he comes to do the State of the Union?
1: Madam Speaker, the president President of the United United States! States. Yeah, I think it is the same guy. And, uh, you know, in the old days, it was a person who held arms. You know, a sergeant at arms is someone whose job it is to to carry a gun and go around and tell people to do stuff.
0: So you're saying that's not very likely. But what else could happen?
1: The, the second thing that could happen is that there's a statute that says that if Congress holds someone in contempt, they can then present that contempt finding to the Department of Justice and the Department of Justice can then prosecute the person for contempt of Congress. Now, that is a normal way to go about dealing with a contempt because it's a crime to be in contempt of Congress, but it's not gonna work when it's the chief law enforcement officer of the United States that you seek to hold in contempt because that guy's not gonna order his own prosecution and President Trump would not order the attorney general to prosecute himself. So that's that's also not gonna happen in this instance. That leaves us with the third realistic option, which is for Congress to go to court and ask the judicial branch to order Barr to comply with the subpoena. This would not lead to Barr being directly punished. He could, however, if ordered by a court to comply. And if he refused to comply, then he would be in contempt of the court. And then in theory, the court could jail him or impose fines on him until he took action. It
0: sounds like you're getting ready for a lot of delays here. And Congress. Yeah. is Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Well, yes to the delay. But I think the way to think about this is in a way we're dealing with theater, Barr is exercising a bit of theater by withholding parts of the Mueller report. The Judiciary Committee is engaged in a bit of theater by saying, you know, we're going to slap you with a contempt citation. And then maybe that theater will slowly, slowly make its way to a genuine constitutional crisis. I don't want to say that's impossible. You can't rule it out. But it's more likely that everyone is just playing a role and they're playing their they're playing politics.
0: I guess I'm used to seeing it as playing politics. But what seems new here to me is just the sheer volume of these pieces of political theater that we're seeing right now. Like we're seeing Trump saying, we're gonna fight all the subpoenas, whether we're talking about Don McGahn, the White House counsel sharing information from his time in the White House, whether we're talking about Donald Trump's tax returns.
1: The volume is huge. And as you say, it's only growing. And the reason for all this is structural. And in this sense, it's more than just politics. You know, under the Constitution, the different branches of government have some powers that they can try to exercise over each other, and they can push and pull and push and pull. And since the Democrats only control one part of the federal government now, in fact, half of one part, they only control the House of Representatives, they're using that opportunity, which is provided by the Constitution, to engage in oversight behavior and challenge the executive and the president Uh, knowing that he's got probably five votes of the Supreme Court behind him, is pushing back and pushing back hard. So in a weird way, this messed up situation is what the Constitution is supposed to produce under these circumstances.
0: And what's interesting is you've written about how these fights have been going on forever. Like George Washington refused to give information to Congress, right?
1: Yeah, it goes all the way back. You know, Congress, they were critical of his handling of negotiations with foreign powers, both Britain and with France. And they demanded Washington's letters to and from his diplomats. And Washington said, no way. And, you know, the reason they could make that demand and that Washington responded is that this is actually something that the founding fathers didn't put explicitly in the Constitution. They didn't talk explicitly about Congress's oversight function, they gave Congress legislative power but they didn't use the word oversight anywhere in the Constitution. They didn't even say that Congress explicitly could engage in contempt citations. Meanwhile, they also didn't say that there was such a thing as executive privilege. That's not in the Constitution anywhere either. They didn't say, oh, the president can refuse to hand stuff over to Congress. All that stuff was being made up in the first generations of the government under the Republic. And that has led to ongoing lack of clarity about the way to resolve these things.
0: Yeah, it really reveals to me how much our democracy is kind of held together with a handshake and a wink and some bubble gum. I mean, it feels like we just haven't buttoned it up.
1: You're right, but the not being buttoned up has actually sometimes hurt us, but it's more often helped us. You know, we're one of the only countries in the world that's still trying to use a constitution produced nearly 250 years ago. You know, most countries update their constitution every so often. You know, when we say that France is in its fifth republic, What we mean by that is it's France 5.0. They've overturned their constitution five times. And most state constitutions have been updated as well. So if you're using a document that's that old, you need to have the wiggle room and the flexibility for evolution. If it's too rigid, then it might work really well in some short-term way, but then it breaks down and you have to throw it out and start again.
0: Yeah, it's funny because when I was thinking about this, I understand that the Republicans wanna win But it just seemed to me that some Republicans might start peeling off here just so there's not like a massive overreach in terms of oversight and pushback. Like once you've done what Trump is doing, which to me is like saying the quiet parts loud, (laughs) taking advantage of every single loophole, it's hard to unsay those things, and it demands a response.
1: You know, in a rational world, you could imagine that both sides would try to find some kind of a compromise. But one thing that Donald Trump achieved in his run for office, and which he's you know, validated in the last two years, is he's shown that there's political gain to be had from confrontation rather than from compromise. And in that very basic sense, he's challenging the constitutional structure that we're accustomed to seeing. You know, we're used to seeing we've got different branches of government, they can't get anything done if they don't work together, Everyone wants to get something done in order to subsequently run for office on the I got something done platform. And then it all works itself out in one way or another. That's sort of the textbook civics account of what's supposed to happen. And Trump has basically shown wrong. Confrontation seems to have helped him in the polls. And as a consequence, the Democrats are trying confrontation because they've got nowhere else to go and they're trying to motivate their base. And that's where we are right now. You know, we're not in a conciliatory historical moment. We're in a deeply confrontational moment.
0: One of the fights I didn't anticipate was a fight over whether Bob Mueller would be able to testify in front of Congress. Why are we seeing that come up now?
1: Well, you were right not to expect it because the attorney general, Bill Barr, when asked, do you mind if Mueller testifies, originally said, I don't see anything wrong with that. Then Donald Trump went public with a statement that he doesn't want Mueller to testify. So of course that's going to require Barr to flip on that. Now Congress can subpoena Mueller, but under usual Department of Justice norms. If you work for the Department of Justice and you're subpoenaed, the decision about whether you go or not goes to, you guessed it, the Attorney General. So as long as Mueller is working for the government, it seems relatively unlikely that the administration would let him testify. That leaves a separate and I think potentially complicated question, which is what happens when Mueller resigns from the Department of Justice or says, you know, my time is up here? Now, is he just an ordinary private citizen who can be subpoenaed by Congress and could then speak about every aspect of his investigation? Or if he shows up, will he still be bound and limited? By Department of Justice regulations about talking about a past criminal investigation, even though he no longer works for the Department of Justice. And I believe we're just coming to the beginning of a detailed and maybe complicated debate about that. Well, and
0: it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Bob Mueller himself interprets that because he's such a conservative guy. He's been so middle of the road. And I wonder. Do you think it's necessary for him to testify at this point, given all the back and forth?
1: I think what would be valuable about his testimony is he could be asked, why did you say in your report that you were not going to reach the conclusion that the president committed a crime, even if you had evidence that the president committed a crime? I would like to hear him ask that question. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure I know what he would say as an answer, because he already said it in his report. He said, well, the president wouldn't be able to defend himself in court because the president can't be charged with a crime. Now, I found that to be a very not plausible explanation that he gave, but I basically don't think we'd get any new revelations if Mueller testified. And Mueller himself, remember, may not want to testify. It's a question of how he feels about the public narrative associated with his report. Right now, you know, Democrats are saying that Mueller's report was distorted in the summary by Bill Barr, and I think that's true in some important ways. But Mueller himself still seems nonpartisan and clean. If he testifies, it's going to be very, very hard for him to maintain that position.
0: Okay, let's bring it back to today. The vote in the House Judiciary Committee to hold William Barr in contempt of Congress. Congress is trying to force Bill Barr's hand here. The Constitution doesn't really have a clear roadmap to handle this kind of vote, even if it goes all the way through. So isn't this an argument for impeachment? Because that is in the Constitution. Like, there's a roadmap there.
1: Impeachment is in the Constitution, but so is the requirement that after impeachment, the Senate vote by two-thirds to remove the president or else he's he's not removed. So as a consequence, the House could impeach Donald Trump. They could even impeach Bill Barr, although I think that's a, a stretch. But the Senate wouldn't remove them. So we would be again in this realm of kind of political theater rather than political reality.
0: You talked about France rewriting their constitution a bunch of times. I just wonder, you've talked about how impeachment wouldn't bring us out of this moment of political theater. What would?
1: I think we're going to have to rely on the elections to get us out of that. The standfast goal of democracies is to use elections to change governments. And you know a democracy is eroding when the elections no longer function to change governments. But we have an election coming, and we will have the opportunity to vote Donald Trump out of office or to keep him. I mean, I, you know, it's it I, i'm I'm sorry that it doesn't sound like a magic bullet solution, but it is actually at the core of who we are as a, as a country and what a democracy is supposed to be so the last
0: time that you were on, we talked about Bill Barr. You were talking about who he was and sort of who he had been as a politician and as attorney yeah. general last time. It's so interesting because I went back to that interview. And you said, I think this attorney general is going to be one of the most important attorney generals we've had in a long time. And I'm like, wow, you are really right on that.
1: Well, thanks for saying so. I also uh, remember saying that Barr had made his reputation by saving George H.W. Bush by recommending pardons for a range of Iran-Contra figures right when that investigation was, was starting to close in on Bush and that i expected him to do the most aggressive things he could possibly do to protect the president and he has done that i think he's even been a little more aggressive than i would have guessed
0: yeah the other thing you said is you said well the one reason i have a little bit of hope here is is he's a regular attorney general he's a guy who's been in a bunch of administrations so maybe that'll be good for the trump administration i wonder if you want to reassess that at all
1: you know his regularity, Barr's regularity, has played itself out in the fact that he's always got some defensible position to fall back on. Nancy Pelosi says, you lied. He says, no, I didn't lie. I just interpreted the question in and such a way. He's operating a very, very, very high level of sophistication. But, yeah, I would have liked to have seen him be... Ah, uh, less inclined to try to save the presidency with his distorting summary of the Mueller report. I suspect that he did it not only out of loyalty to the President, but because he actually believed that it' would be better for the country if the series of accusations against the president went away.
0: yeah, it strikes me he's just a really good lawyer. And I say that my husband's a lawyer. He watched the testimony and he was like, "This is why everyone hates lawyers.
1: yeah. I mean, um I, I am a lawyer. And yeah, there's no question about it. People hate it when lawyers are lawyerly and he is acting as a lawyer here and to some extent as a lawyer for the Trump administration. And, you know, some people think that's not the job of the attorney general because the attorney general should represent the United States of America and be above partisanship. But on the other hand, under the Constitution, the attorney general is appointed by the president and serves at the president's pleasure. So he also is going to, to some extent, represent the interests of the administration. And I would say he's definitely erring on that side of the continuum.
0: Noah Feldman, thank you so much for joining me.
1: My great pleasure.
0: Noah Feldman is a constitutional scholar at Harvard. He's also managed to squeeze one more thing into his schedule.
1: I've started a new podcast uh, called Deep Background that's produced by Pushkin Industries and is available on Luminary. And what we're doing on that show is trying to take stories that are in the news and go all the way behind them to consider the underlying historical or philosophical or scientific questions that are that are behind the news story. And the goal is to get a different perspective then from what you hear when you just hear headlines and talking heads going back and forth.
0: All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason
1: DeLeon, and Anna Martin. I'll talk to you tomorrow.